This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 8. And the quote of the day is from Abraham Lincoln on preparedness, who said, If you give me six hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first four hours sharpening my axe. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I got a recording here that I did with Eric Kalb a few weeks ago in his studio in Brooklyn. A little bit about Eric. He has toured North America, Europe, Australia, and Japan with uh, people like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, John Schofield, Dr. Lonnie Smith, the Grey Boy All-Stars, and Deep Banana Blackout. He's also played with the Meters, the Allman Brothers, Chuck Berry, and performed at notorious jazz festivals like Newport, Monterey, and Umbria. He's also done recording sessions for major motion pictures, um, including American Gangster and Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. And Eric's just a great, great guy, man, and a a super soulful, rhythmic drummer. Um, Definitely a guy that that feels the music rather than, uh, than analyzes it. So... This interview is really cool and insightful. And like I said, I did this a few weeks ago at a studio in Brooklyn. So let's uh, let's check it out. Without further ado, Eric Cow. Hope you guys like it. All right. So we are in Brooklyn. I'm here with Eric. Hello. And, and uh, <laughs> so this is so we're in this little studio that you you were telling me about that you just converted or not just converted, but you, you converted this into into your own little personal studio here. Yeah, yeah, it's in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and uh, I've had this space for a long time. Uh, I actually used to live here. It's a basement apartment, and then um, I moved in with my girlfriend in Long Island City, and this became my uh, drumming studio, and uh, also, you know, I kind of have guys over, and we do some playing and recording, and it's been... Uh, it just keeps getting better and better down here. Uh, I can play to my heart's content, and uh, you know we can make music. And it's, which is crazy, we were saying down here that like you're you're in you know you're not in like some industrial area. Yeah. You know? No, it's people... kind of on the outskirts of Greenpoint. It's kind of the what I call the end of the line. You know, it starts right. to get a little industrial, but it's still it's still residential. Right. And. Uh, I mean, there's, it's gone through a lot of changes, as everything does in New York. But, um, you know, just the way this room is positioned, there's nothing, there's nothing on these two walls. And then there's just another basement that's just, a, I think someone's using it as a storage area. And for the longest time, above us was an a architectural metals shop. So they were making more noise than I was. And... Uh, they recently moved out. So I think there are musicians above me now that are trying to create a studio, which as far as disturbing them, I don't think uh, that will be a problem. Right. May work out for you. Yeah, it's been working out and uh, it's been great. Nice. So how, so you said you've been here, what, 10 years? I've been in New York 10 years. I'm originally from uh, Long Island. Okay. And before I was in New York, I was... I was up in Boston for about a year, and then I lived in Connecticut for about uh, seven, eight years. Okay. So, and were you doing the Berkeley thing? I did go to Berkeley yeah. after high school. Uh, that was in nineteen eighty-eight. Ninety-three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was no, actually, it was. It was uh, in nineteen eighty-eight to uh, no, no, eighty to ninety. I went two years, yeah. Okay. And I feel like a lot of people that go to Berkeley are like, yeah, I went for two years. A lot of people go for a short period of time. I don't know too many people that actually graduate. Um, I should say I don't know too many uh, just players or people that are touring or just performing musicians. Right. I don't know if it's necessary for that. I think for other things, it's probably more important to get that degree. If you want to teach. Or teaching and... Whatever. I think that they have such a great MP&E music production and engineering department there 
that I think it's it's probably pretty important to go through that whole process. But right. it's more about the knowledge than the actual piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Do you think? I mean, how do you think it was like overly scholastic, or was it? Do you think it was? Well, I think there's only so much you can teach as far as music uh, and drumming in in that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be. Oh, how can I say it? I mean, it's it's up to the person. That's the, what you're looking to do. They can they can teach you jazz pretty good, you know, uh, because jazz has that nature of of uh, being. Uh, you know, you can put it into a curriculum, mm-hmm. but you can't really do that with like blues and R and B and soul or gospel music. Not really. Even though they have, they do offer those things. When I was there, there wasn't so much of that. So when I left, what all the blues and gospel stuff? Yeah, like? they're really, they're really. Well, I mean, they they have a gospel um, ensemble there, and they the, all the ensembles were really the thing that I was there for because right. it's just this experience of you know you're fresh out of high school or whatever, and you you get into this um, you know you're, you thrust into this community of of musicians and you're all of a sudden you're playing like day and night with all these people and meeting all these people from different backgrounds from all over the world Mm -hmm. um so it's just this hub where you can network and and grow and expand and they're playing all different types of music so i think that's what was so amazing about it to me and i really focused on just practicing and getting in as many different types of ensembles as I could. Right. And they, they have a lot there. I haven't checked in recently with what's going on up there. I'm sure they have everything under the sun. But they had that, you know, they had a lot. And I got into some really good ones. Uh, they have a, there's this rating system there that's, you know, I guess works for them. You know, there's right. just like four or five different numbers for each... You know, your reading, your improvisational skills, your what kind of shoes you're wearing. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 you have to have a certain amount of ratings to get in a certain ensemble. Oh, uh, okay. I got you. You know, whether it's jazz or funk. It seemed like the funk ensembles, you had to, you'd have to have a, a, a high rating Good. to get into that. That makes me feel good. <laughs> so... You know. They're like, anybody can play this over here, but if you want to get in the funk thing, you got to yeah, yeah. You gotta change your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a special class. <laughs> I think they do have little stage stage wardrobe classes there. I don't know. They have everything. There. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so what kind of stuff were you... I mean, were you mainly there to focus on, on jazz, or were you... Uh... Well, yeah. I mean, there was... Uh, even to this day, there's a certain voice in the back of my head that says you're going to be a great jazz drummer well, I was just gonna ask you, do you feel like do you, uh, do you feel like you're a strong jazz player or do you I, I love playing jazz I, I don't really um, pursue that solely because I like so many different types of music mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm drawn to other things I think a little bit more right and I realize how much um, I realized a long time ago to, to, to be great at that one thing, jazz, um, you really have to dedicate yourself. And that's why there are you know drummers like you know Bill Stewart, Kenny Washington, those guys, that's all they play. That's all they want to play. And that's why they're some of the best that are right, out right, there, right. you know. But um, I, uh, you know, I, I like a lot of different things, so... But I mean, I guess I, I I'm more of an improvisational drummer that likes to groove, and sometimes that becomes jazz. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, you know, the uh, the civilians maybe, or you know, if it, if it doesn't have a swing pattern, or if it does have a swing pattern, sure. it's jazz, and if it doesn't, then it's not. Sure, you get you into know. all these definitions and and categories, and um, it's it you know. These conversations have happened over and over, but um, you know, if it moves you and 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 you and you're really into the sounds that you're hearing, then that's then that's what you should pursue, and that's what you like. You know, sure. it, it doesn't have to be bound by these rules. But then again, 
by the same token, you know, there's certain things that make you can look at a piece of music and say there's certain parameters that we have to stay within in order to make this effective, you know? Right, right. right and make right. it sound that when it comes to R&B or, or blues, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there's the other side of the coin of just breaking all those rules and, you know, saying fuck you. Right. <laughs> can I say fuck you? You can say whatever you want. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Um, so so who were, who were your guys? Like who... Like when you were going up, when you were coming up through Berkeley and everything, who who were the guys that that you were really digging into and and checking out? Well, I mean, I gathered and I I didn't, you know, when I first started out, I didn't know about stuff, so I only worked with what I knew. So when I was growing up in high school, the first thing that I knew about was just rock music, right? You know, from my brother and whatever records my brother had. So he had all the Beatles records and all the all the classic rock, you know, from from uh, from Great Britain, you know, the British bands like The Who, Stones, mm-hmm. Beatles, Zeppelin. So I was really into that, and that's how I learned to play the drums was playing along to those records. And then I got really into uh, the whole prog rock thing with bands like Yes and Genesis, and I. I would play along to that stuff, and that was a little more like, you know, difficult. There were odd times. Right, and right. They were coming. Did you know from you were playing odd time then, or were you just well? Like- yeah, because in conjunction with my private teacher, one of my first private teachers, um, he was very into prog rock as well. So I was actually studying like a lot of Bill Bruford and uh, Phil Collins was actually like my hero. I don't know if because. He's lefty and I'm lefty. Right. I kind of so I really became interested in like the, the old Genesis the drum, stuff. And, the drum fill that got you. The Yeah, you know, and then he like like all things jumped the shark and mm-hmm. as they say. <laughs> but you know, then I, I at that point I had moved on already into like kind of like fusion because that was a gateway uh the whole prog rock thing is a gateway into the fusion thing and you know even bill bruford and and musicians like that they had their projects i guess bill bruford played with alan holdsworth and mm-hmm. you you go down these little rabbit say, holes because you know? bill bruford kind of he's like the he's like the gateway drug in the fusion i guess like the, <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah because i when i got into him i kind of noticed that i like i started getting into fusion at the same time because he had like he did. He was like doing the prog rock thing, but it was like, right. He, he always had. He always kind of pictured himself a jazz drummer as right. well. And later on, he did do that with with his groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very innovative. I mean, it, what a you know, he's a great artist. Mm-hmm. But um, so you know, it just kept going. And then, I mean, I, I I didn't even know about Straight Ahead till I got to um, in high school. I went to a uh, an art school. It was kind of like the famed the LaGuardia High School in New York, mm-hmm. but this is like the Long Island version. It's called the Cultural Arts Center. Okay. And so for half a day, in my last two years of high school, 11th and 12th grade, I uh, would go to another facility on the other side of the island and uh, just study music, um, you know, ear training and theory and composition and uh there was a jazz course there Mm. and the teacher was a guy named dave burns and he became my first mentor uh he played with uh dizzy gillespie in the uh in the 50s and 60s he was in uh well he was in dizzy's big band in the 40s i think that was 48 and uh then he had an alliance with james moody I uh, did a bunch of records with him, and he's on a great record that I remember, I still listen to today, called uh, A.T.'s Delight, an Art Taylor record, the drummer Art Taylor. Never heard of that. Yeah, it's a great record. Um, so, you know, Dave Burns was the first guy that was like, you know, this is, you know, straight ahead, real deal jazz. Right, right, right. You know? And so we had a lot of courses in high school where we he was teaching us how to play that music. And that was, you know, a real guy from the bebop era, mm-hmm. you know, not really well known, but he was there. He was sure. on that scene, you know, up in Harlem at places like Minton's Playhouse, you know, 
all those places, you know, the Cotton Club. I mean, he was there, you know. So that was a great education. That was before I even went to Berkeley. So, I mean, at that time, I really got, I was really into it. Right. You know, because it just opened up this whole world of how to play drums that was different from rock, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were in high school, were you... Did, did, at what point were you like, you know what, I'm going to do this? Yeah, right before I went to that school, I was thinking about being an architect. Because that's what my uncle is in Chicago. Oh, okay. So, you know, you, when, you know, when people are in high school, you don't know what you're doing. You're just like grasping at straws. <laughs> but then, you know, the, the drumming had been there since I was 10 years old, mm -hmm. you know, but just more like a hobby, you know. Sure. And my parents were really great at putting up with that noise in the basement of me figuring out how to play these things. But it was never considered serious. But the more I went into it, I, you know, when I, I think it was the, the, the clincher was when I heard about that school. Right. You know, because then it validated it for me. What, you can actually go to school for do this? this people are really uh, respecting this right. as a real job, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So that was the turning point, I guess, in about 10th grade when I heard about that school. And then I went there. How old were you when you started playing? I was 10 years old when I started playing. Okay. So this school so that I went to like was about when I was 15. In. Yeah, five yeah. years I'd been playing. And at first I didn't practice at all. I was right. My early teachers were just didn't know what to do with me. They just didn't. I, I didn't like, you know, didn't like practicing. It didn't click. You right. Know, until maybe like two years later when I was like 12, when I was like about 13. That's when really practicing became interesting and I understood it. You know, it all mm. started to click and. Then, you know, you get hooked on that, sure, you because know, it's sure. enjoyable. So what kind of stuff were you, uh, did you start on practicing? Did you do the rudiment thing? And, sure, and you know, all stuff. the rudiments and uh, syncopation every which way yeah, till yeah, Sunday, yeah. you know. And uh, <laughs> I, the, the teacher that I wound up studying a lot with in high school uh, was a guy named Phil Samino, and he's still around in New York. I see him every once in a while. And he was a great teacher because he had this whole method that he had gotten from another guy named Chet DeBow, who's still around on Long Island. And uh, they were very into just a lot of contemporary funk music. And uh, so I got my first taste of funk, like, you know, like the Brecker Brothers right. kind of stuff and, and Billy Cobham and, and just, you know, Lenny White, that type of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. And... Um, Steve Gadd, of course, was like everybody's hero. So it was it was all about that that kind of thing, and um, there was this all these method books that this guy Chet DeBow had. He had like um, these hand and feet books. I still have them here around the studio. Oh no, um, hand and feet books, just combinations between that he hand wrote. And feet. That he wrote. Yeah, oh. I have a few of them. I can show them to you. Yeah. Um, he has one called Funk Sambas. It was all these different ways of plugging in the ride patterns with the bass drum patterns and the hand patterns, just all, you know, just right. much like the syncopation thing, only already thought out for you. Okay. I think like the, the syncopation. Kind of like the Chester book, like the, uh, the new breed kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I, I know about that book, but I never really got to that one. No, it's a good Someday book. I'll check it out. That's all linear stuff, right? Yeah, it's kind of like he gives you, he gives you like the top pattern and then, and then you sight read the like your foot right and right i'm trying to, you know what no he'll give you hand patterns yeah and then you plug in different exercises and then you can you plug you in the different wherever right like you can swing it's like it. that it's books can, like that yeah and he had them in every you know genre jazz and rock and funk and and uh he also had um a lot of hand he was very this guy chet debeau who my teacher was studying with, he also right. was very into drum corps. So he had a lot, he had this one book called Rudiment City, which was every permutation of every rudiment. I mean, unbelievable. Encyclopedia of every which way to play that stuff. Really? And he also had a drum corps that he still runs to this day called Hip Pickles. And it was like, it was a contemporary drum corps um, where they'd march, but they'd have keyboards and they'd play stuff like Birdland, right. you know. And I played quads mm -hmm. in that group. I wound up doing some drum corps stuff. So do you read well? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I know some of that stuff can get a little. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was intense. great for the reading. So the so you're doing like the the funk drumming workbooks and the. 
Yeah. Uh, so what? What was the other one? Funk sambas. Funk sambas. Yeah. Funk. Yeah. Oh, that check that rudiment city. city. Yeah, there's a there's a lot every all these different permutations of rudiments and and uh, uh, this very drum core. I did a little bit of drum core stuff with this group Hip Pickles, right? Which was out on Long Island, run by this guy Chet DeBeau. I think he's still doing it out there. Nice. And it was very cool. I played quads, and there was a lot of chops and reading involved get in that. you ready man yeah and we do these yeah. parades where we play like hip stuff like Birdland by weather report and stuff like that you know so were you gigging like when you were in high school were you gigging a, you know not really no. no i didn't really do gigs in high school i just kind of played uh i would have a lot of musicians come over to my house and we'd play mm-hmm. and you know there weren't a lot of musicians Early on, uh, you know, I just have local musicians and we play rock and stuff, you know. Right. Um, but uh, later on, when I started going to the the art school, I met different musicians who were more interested in playing jazz. So I'd have sessions at my house, but not really. Didn't do too many gigs. I did go to. There used to be this jazz club on Long Island called Sonny's Place. That was open for a long time. It was probably one of the only jazz clubs on the island. And they'd have a jam session uh, every Monday. So I'd go down there and sit in. And, uh, I mean, this was at a point where I was really trying to get my jazz playing together. So that really really helped out. So, I mean, all this was kind of like in preparation for the next step, which I think was was going to Berkeley, you Mm -hmm. know. And... So once you get to Berkeley, um, was there were they pushing you to gig, or do you think not so much? I, I mean, naturally. there were guys gigging. I mean, the push was you know, I mean, at times of course music does get very competitive. So the, you see other guys doing gigs, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you want to be part of that. So there were opportunities in Boston to do that, and I did a little bit of that, just mostly in a, in a rock with a rock band I played and um, would play some parties, you know. Right. But, you know, there, there was virtually, you know, no bread because there's so many musicians. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it's kind of the same in New York. But, right. uh, you know, this is just, it's mostly about experience, getting experiences wherever you can, you know, mm-hmm. so in front of people. But I mostly... I was still doing a lot of practice and I guess I was just hooked on practicing because when I was in high school, I would come home and practice for eight hours. I would go to this art school for the first half of the day and then I'd come back to my regular high school and just sign in and I wouldn't go to classes. And I don't even know how I graduated because I'd just go home and practice the drums for eight hours. And then I'd go to work at Marshall's and sell shoes (laughs) till about 10 o'clock at night. And then do the same thing next day. So it was just this mode, and it kind of went through Berkeley, where I just was obsessed with practicing, as right. a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of musicians because because you know it's the only way to, you know, get to a certain level. Right. So how do you uh, how do you bridge that gap, like getting out of Berkeley or, or leaving Berkeley or? Well, I when I left Berkeley. Um, I immediately went back to Long Island. So I immediately said, all right, I'm going to start gigging. Right. You know? And did you leave where you like, I'm, I'm done here, kind of like, I don't need any more? Or was it like... It was more for leave? financial reasons. Right. You know, it's just, I don't think my father really saw the... Uh, the value. In it. The value of it, you know. Right. I mean, I think he probably realized at a certain point that y- you don't really need to do this if you're just going to be a drummer, mm-hmm. you know. I was, uh, and at, at the time I was kind of, I was bummed because I was really liking Berkeley, but you know, I was also like, you know, just kind of probably drinking and partying too much too. Oh, so you wanted to stay? Oh yeah. I wanted to stay. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to finish it. I was loving that lifestyle. Right. You know, I mean, it's sure. the first time you're away from home yep. and you're in Boston. It's a great city. Yeah. You're doing your thing. You know, I had a girlfriend and then I had a traumatic breakup with that girlfriend, you mm-hmm, know, so it was, mm-hmm. So I got back to Long Island and I just immediately started playing with like blues bands and 
weddings. I was doing weddings. Right. And uh, those are always rocking gigs. Yeah. Well, I was, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, man. Just trying to make money. Right. You right. Know? And. Uh, but it wasn't easy because there's like there weren't a lot of gigs. There was a lot more gigs than there are now, even wow. <laughs> on Long Island. You know, even that club date scene, I think, is kind of dwindled. But mm -hmm. I haven't done that stuff in a long time. Uh, playing weddings, I mean, every once in a while, it'll but it'll be more like a specialty thing, sure. you know, where somebody wants some some soul music or R and B music, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I wound up hooking up with this uh, R and B band in Connecticut. Uh, and they were working like four or five nights a week, and it was through a bass player that I played up in 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 Berkeley with uh, a guy named Dave Lavolsi, and uh, so I just joined these guys. They were called Tongue and Groove, and they played Otis Redding and James Brown and nice. Funkadelic and mm -hmm. just all that good stuff, you know. You're a big James stuff. Brown fan, like yes, yeah. yes, and <laughs> Jabo uh, and Clyde. Yeah, I mean, that became like the new obsession, you know, was to just practice along to all those old records, mm -hmm. you know, and really get the feeling for that, you know. Um, it's funny because uh, I just, I'm, I'm going on tour next month with this gospel group. Uh, it's another, uh, it's a Daptone Records uh, artist that's on the label called Naomi Shelton and the Gospel Queens. And the bass player is Fred Thomas, James Brown's original bass nice. player. And so we did a rehearsal the other night, and he turned around and he said, Man, I like playing with you. You, you, you got the, the, feel, the kind of feel I like to play with. And I said, That's because I practiced to all those records you're on. <laughs> I stole for it years. From you guys. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so I've been playing with you for a long time. Right. <laughs> That's but, all, yeah. it's, it's funny how those things work out, too, you know. Listening to all these records and looking up to these guys and then playing with them. Well, yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing happened for me also when uh, we formed out of this old out of this group Tongue and Groove that I was in for a few years. We formed uh, Deep Banana Blackout right. with some of the members of that group, and uh, that became kind of a big deal. That kind of became my main gig for like seven years. Right, and then that's when I first started really touring mm -hmm. with that group. I saw you guys a couple times too um, really yeah and I'm trying to think the one I think this was like I, I don't know how many years ago this was you guys were like set up at a fish show oh the at, lemon wheel yeah 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 it was, Yeah. I saw you guys there that's a long time ago that was a long time ago yeah. yeah. Well, we used to do stuff like that. I mean, we were the jam band scene, which is still going. Mm -hmm. um, seemed like the thing that was dominating, uh, you know, live music. Right. And uh, it was cool. We kind of we kind of hit we kind of hit that hard, and uh, they were very receptive to what we were doing. But what we were doing was really just we were taking R and B tunes. And soul music. And at a certain point, our manager said, you know, if you guys took these... He started showing us fish tapes, you know. We weren't into fish at all. Right. We were mostly into R&B and jazz, you know. And uh, he said, if you took all the stuff that you were doing and just stretched out and did like a 20-minute guitar solo, these kids will eat it up and they'll love you. And... <laughs> He was right. We agreed to do that, <laughs> and he was right. And then we could not stop doing that, and it was just right. It's just crazy because that band got pretty big. Yeah, well, we were just a funk jam band, you know. Right. And uh, we had a bunch of original music. We had a couple albums out, you know. How big did that band get, though? I mean, were you guys doing like bus tours? Or? Uh, we wound up doing bus tours, yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, we, you know, we would play at, like, Irving Plaza. Right. So it was that size. And uh, we'd tour all over the States. We only toured in the States. We went to Japan a couple of times. But we never went to Europe or any or Canada or, like, anywhere else. No. 
we just do, you know, Colorado and mm-hmm. West Coast. and I mean, we, we went around the whole country a couple of times. Right. You know. But, yeah, it was pretty popular. You know, some markets better than others. Right. But that's the way it is in general, I think, with any band. So is that how you kind of, you broke into that scene a little bit with that band, like networking through there? Yeah, it's a cool scene. I mean, it's still, even to this day, I'm very much affiliated with it. And, you know, it has its good points and its bad points, you right. know, like right. anything else. So, I mean, I I wound up playing with a lot of different the artists that I liked the most that were involved with that scene, I wound up being able to play with. So it worked out pretty good. And who's that? Well, the first guy that took notice of me was John Schofield. I wound, I was on a festival uh, called The Gathering of the Vibes mm-hmm. up in Connecticut. And he was there. And I actually asked him to sit in with my band. <laughs> and uh, he was like, yeah, sure. And he sat in. Uh, on one of our original tunes, oddly enough, I think we played something else though. Can't remember. But then he showed up at another festival and he sat in with us again. And he said, "Hey, man, you know you should come by my house and jam." And I was like, <laughs> "I'm on my way." Sure, you tell come. me the time, you know. And uh, I went over there with. Uh, I wound up going over there with my friend Dave uh, Lavolsi, who I had gone to Berkeley with. Mm-hmm. And, we went over there and we jammed and uh, Johnny Durkin, the percussionist from Deep and Out of Blackout, he was involved with that as well. And uh, we went over there and played for a while and it was just great. And I had recorded it and I said, man, if that's all that happens, that I went to John Schofield's house and, and you know, jammed and recorded, jammed it. And recorded it, I'll be happy. Right. But it turns out he, he calls and he says, hey, I, th- I think I want to put you guys on my next record, you know. So we wound up doing this record at... Uh, Avatar and I, it's on Verve Records called Bump, mm-hmm. and uh, I played on half the record, and uh, also Chris Wood plays, and uh, the other drummer, the other rhythm section is Kenny Woolison and Tony Share, who are Bill Frizzell's rhythm section. Also, they're in the Sex Mob. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it's a cool record, man. It was really good. I, I play a lot more of the funky stuff right and um it kind of it's it's kind of exemplary of uh what i like to do i like stuff that grooves but i also stuff like stuff that's like modern creative sounding right you know so i've been involved with that type of stuff in different incarnations because then i also wound up playing with charlie hunter who has that kind of sensibility where he he loves the blues and 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 jazz but he also takes that stuff and makes it his own mm-hmm. and has a creative um way of doing those types of tunes you know right how did you get hooked up with charlie charlie i had known for for years just from seeing him at different gigs and uh uh I, I just heard, I guess it was in 2008 that I heard uh, he was going to be changing it up, changing up his uh, band. And so I just wrote him an email and said, hey, man, I heard you're thinking of changing it up. You know, I'd like to try out right. for the team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, much like the Schofield thing, he said, hey, why don't you come to my house and jam, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went out to Jersey and we played and... He was like, yeah, let's let's do this. So I played with him for two years and nice. did a record with him. And that record is called Gentlemen, I Neglected to Inform You, You Will Not Be Getting, getting Paid. paid. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a quote from, uh, an amalgamation of a quote from uh, a, a musician that said that, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but it was also dur- during the time of the, uh, uh, the whole... Uh, financial meltdown Mm -hmm. so it was very apropos (laughs) (laughs) I neglected to tell you yeah (laughs) would not be getting paid (laughs) so it seems like uh, there's like this network of of people I've kind of noticed with musicians and and same thing with like if you look at movies and, and things like you always see the same people in like 
uh, uh, Adam Sandler movie, or you always see like yeah the same guy like you know in in like a Vince Vaughn movie. It's a team, and it's and it seems like there's I mean like I guess the in crowd that you're in with it's like Charlie Hunter, Schofield, like Krasno, uh, all those guys. Yeah, Dap so, Kings. Yeah, and so how. Um, so are these, are they all just, you guys all just friends that happen to, I think it comes back to like-mindedness, you right. know, what are your, uh, what types of sounds and music are you, are you drawn to? Mm-hmm. And I think all those artists that you mentioned that I'm involved with, we're all, we're all drawn to similar styles. Right. But even within all those people, there's certain things that. You know, maybe one one of those people likes that the other doesn't. Right, right, right. So, but I think the common theme with all of the artists that I work with is all of the sounds that they make I like. Right. You know? Well, yeah. So that's what seems to work. Sure. You can't, you know, you can't, it's like apples and oranges, and I think musicians argue over this stuff a lot, and, you know, certain it's like symbols it's like certain symbols aren't right for the right gig you know right and so it's just like players certain players aren't are are best for a certain gig Mm -hmm. and uh you know it takes a little time to realize that because you 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 get um you take it personally sometimes that you may not oh i really wanted that gig but there was a guy that might be better for you i remember one time uh, after I had left Deep Banana Blackout, I got a call to play with uh, Les Claypool. And uh, he was starting a band with um, Adrian Ballou. Who's that? Uh, he's the guitar player for King Crimson. Oh, right, yeah. I yeah. knew that name sounded familiar. I'm like... Yeah. So... I mean, less is cool, but when I heard Adrian Blue, I was really interested. Right. And so I was ready to, getting ready to do this and getting psyched. And then I got a call that said, hey, um, I'm sorry to break this to you, but it, I think they're going to go with Terry Bazio. <laughs> so I said, hey, you know what? Yeah. He's probably better for this particular <laughs> project, you know? But it I mean, it's stuff to get like the call, that. But, yeah. You know. you know, it's stuff like that. You just got to put yourself out there, and if it's if it's meant to be, you know, then it, then it happens. Mm-hmm. You know. So how did you uh, how did you get hooked up with the with the Dap Kings? The Dap Kings was uh, I've had a long relationship with them off and on, um, starting in two thousand five. I got a call from Gabe Roth. Um, he needed a drummer to fill in for Homer Steinweiss, who is the main drummer for the, for the band. Mm-hmm. And he's also the, the drummer on the, on a lot of the Daptone records, most of the Daptone records. He's basically the house drummer. Right. So, um, I got a, a friend had put my name in with Gabe saying, you know, if you're looking for somebody that can play in this style, call this guy and so it was it was a long it it i kept trying to get an audition but they were on the road and it get, kept getting put off and then so were you trying to be like the the sub or were you trying to uh i'm just trying to do something i'm just trying to be <laughs> <laughs> well you know i mean what it turned out to be is i'm the sub i'm the touring I'm mainly the touring drummer right. most most of the time. Um, just mostly because I think Homer doesn't really like to go out on the road so right, much. Right. I mean, touring is a special thing that some musicians either love or hate. I know a guy know? that's been touring for 15 years and hates every minute of it. Wow, that's not good. You know, and I like, actually love it. Yeah, I like being on the road too. I mean, I, as long as you get a break from it, you mm-hmm. know. I've had a pretty long break just because of the situation with, with Sharon's health right mm-hmm. now, but she's definitely on the mend, and next year is is looking pretty good. That's great. Yeah. And well, if you, hey, if you ever need a sub. <laughs> a sub for the sub. Yeah, if you ever need a, a double yeah. sub, let me know. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that whole thing came about, uh, and it just, it was very last minute when I, when I went out on the road with them, when they, find, they had a different sub that wasn't working out. And they just called me one night and they said, we need you to get on a plane tomorrow and come down to South Carolina or wherever they were and start this tour. We have a whole U.S. tour and our drummer's not working out. They had some guy who had a lot of uh, records, you know, because they're into the, they're, this is the 45 collection. So right. they were very impressed by his collection of 45s and he could play some nasty beats. Right. But he wasn't like a complete musician where he could make changes, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't have the big picture. Right, I got it. And so they were having problems with that. He couldn't remember w- the way songs evolved, you know. Um, so I went down there, I flew down there, I just ran home, packed my bags, and flew down the next day and joined up with this tour. Because I'd been wanting to play with this band, because they're such a special group. There's no band out there like this. Agreed. That is... Uh, playing this music true to the sounds, you know, the period sounds that I think were the best, you know, I, the 60s and early 70s soul music. You know? I uh, I played, a good, very good friends of mine have a band called The Sermon, and uh, and I played, I was the drummer for them for maybe like two years while the guy was, the, the drummer was, I forget what he was doing, I don't know, but anyway, for like two years I played with these guys. And it's all, it's like 60s and yeah. 70s organ soul stuff. Yeah. So it's all like, you know, the Jimmy Smith stuff and, and we do all that. And it's named the sermon after the Jimmy Smith record. And the the guitar player actually got Jimmy Smith's permission to name the record. Awesome. Or to name the, the band, the sermon, because he uh, he worked with Joey DeFrancesco for a while and, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. But and when I started playing with them, I don't know, I guess it was seven years ago or so, and uh, I got a Sharon Jones and the Dap King, okay. Dap King's record, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, this is great. I mean, it was like, and then I got like, you know, really into them for a while. So it's uh, it's it's cool to be, you know, talking about it with you because I, I totally, because I know what you're talking. It's not like I've never heard the, the tunes and I'm like, oh yeah, man, that's, that's cool, man. Yeah, like I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, think, I mean... It's, it's, it's really special because not all, you know, they have a great organization mm-hmm. and it's like family. Um, and, you know, everything's homegrown. You know, they do, they, they have Daptone Studios over there in Bushwick. And there's a bunch of different artists on the label, you know, like Charles Bradley and, and uh, the Gospel Queens, who I'm going out with next month. And, um, you know, they, they're just supplying, the, the, not only are they putting out great records and touring, they're also supplying DJs with these 45s, you know. So people that are enthusiasts of that whole fetish, <laughs> you know, they just keep supplying them. And there's a lot, you know, they'll do soul parties where they just have the, the, the 45s are part of it. So it's it's just a whole thing, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm very thankful to be part of it in any way. So I wound up being able to hook. It was kind of an interesting trajectory because I played with them for two years in 2005 to about 2007. And then I think Homer wanted to come back and uh, play drums and do some touring because they had a new record out. And I went and I wound up playing with the Grey Boy All-Stars. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I play, you and I played together on a gig in Philly and I think we like narrowed that down when we were at Will's house, and I was like, I know you, and you're oh, like, okay. I know you too, and yeah. like, I guess, I don't know, I th- we played at like the TLA. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Like. Yeah. I don't know. Ten year, eight years ago, ten. I don't know. I forget what year it was. All I'm remembering is sticky floors. Sounds about right. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> but yeah, we. Uh, we opened for you guys, and I was like, and I remember it because I I saw you guys play. I thought you played. I thought your playing was great, and Thanks. then I go and see. I go to see Grayboy again, and you weren't there. And I was like, oh. 
So what the, the hell is going on here? Yeah, it was and everything was cool and everything was great. I'm not yeah. saying that, but I was like really looking forward to going to see you play. Again. Oh, thanks. You know, and I was like, yeah, I was only with them for a year, mm -hmm. and uh, they they wanted to change it up because they were on the West Coast. They're still on the West Coast, right? And um, I was he still here, so they'd have to fly me in and everything. And right. I guess it 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 kind of it got a little expensive, but during my time with them, I was able to. Uh, be in LA and started doing some sessions out there. I did, I did um, some stuff for this this movie Walk Hard. Yeah, the Dewey Cox. Story. Yeah, the Dewey Cox story. Yeah, yeah. So I did a bunch of recording out there. So I got I got kind of excited when I joined them. I almost thought I was going to move out to LA mm -hmm. just because I always wanted to do more session work, and it's it seemed like it was coming together, but then it didn't. And right. then I I just stayed here and said, all right, I'll I'll keep doing it in New York. And uh, that's when I hooked up with Charlie Hunter and played with him for a few years. And then after, right when Char my time with Charlie Hunter was ending, the Dap Kings came back around and I started touring with them. And it's just like clockwork. Right. right, right. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty good lately. So you think you're going to stick around here for a little while then? I'm going to stick around as long as I can, you know. I mean, every day is uh, a challenge in New York City, mm -hmm. as we all know. You know, it's just, just walking around the block can be... Uh, <laughs> I know all about it, man. An accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what would you say if, you know, somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm playing these local gigs, but I really want to get into more touring work and I want to... Yeah, I want to connect with these people and, and play with the, the, the cats that I listen to. Uh, how would you suggest that? Um, well, there's always a lot of... Uh, I think there's a lot of hanging out um, that goes hand in hand. You know, they say it's, uh, it's who you know. Right. So there's always a lot of going going to where those things are happening that you're interested in mm -hmm. it seems like it gets harder and harder each day in New York City you know to uh, do to do to, the tour and stuff or to hang to, to find you know there used to be more places where it wouldn't cost you there wasn't a cover mm -hmm. and you could just go and hang out right and there were more musicians showing up I don't know how much of that is happening now it seems like people are just doing their shows and you go there and you pay you know to do the right. show so it's it's not it, it, I mean you're saying if you want to go out a couple nights a week it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks because everywhere you go you got well everything is just like I walk out the door and I spend a hundred bucks you know? right I mean it's it's just it, it doesn't get it's not going to get cheaper <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah prices are definitely yeah, not going down yeah. But I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know where those places are now. I know a lot of places closed in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And uh, there used to be Rose over in Bro Brooklyn, which was a great place uh, to play and hang out. And other musicians would, you know, hang out. Right. And uh, you could network, you know. Mm -hmm. You have that. It's, it's important to have a community. Sure. You know. Um, there was Zebulon and that closed, you know. There used to be uh, tonic, you know, where a lot of musicians would congregate and hang out and check each other out, you know. I don't know where there is now, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean... There's like, what, the 55 bar? And 55 is always great, you know. It's always a great hang, and that, that still happens. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, they want to hang in, in New York, or they want to move to New York, or they want to get in the scene, and then they're like, but I'm not a jazz guy. Yeah. You know? And... So, and I, I always think about like different places where you can check stuff out that's not jazz and there's not like there's not a ton of places you know I mean there's not a ton of jazz clubs anymore either but there's not a, right. there's not a ton of places where people are playing stuff other than other than jazz that are you know accessible or, or you know that are cheap to get into or, or that are happening you know right and then just a lot of things start to happen I start to look at it as well, this is I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make make it happen here, right? You know, like have musicians over here, 
and and do jam sessions here, you know, and mm-hmm. make this more of a hang, you know. I think that's each 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 individual is is becoming able to um, you know have their own studio in their right. in their own place, and if you have a space, you know, work it as hard as you can, I guess. Sure. But um. Yeah, you know, it's things things have definitely changed, so it's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think it's do you think you get more gigs by your playing or by your networking and who you know? I think it's like a um, people people know about me, and it goes back to like, would he be good for this situation? Right, you know, and they can only they can only judge that by what I've done in the past mm-hmm. you know I mean there's a lot of situations I would be good in but people don't know that I would be good in that because I haven't done it as much as other things right but I think that's just because personally the other things that I've done are the things that I like to do the most mm-hmm. so yeah. that's what's that's what everybody knows me as sure and so those gravitate towards things right. that you like and, those, and, and I'm happy with that you right. know I mean I do a lot of organ trio stuff and, uh, you know, I was able to tour with Dr. Lonnie Smith. Nice. And um, I did a nice tour in Europe with him a few years ago. And, you know, that type of stuff is great. So people know you from that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's kind of like a constant audition, I feel, though, man. Right. I, I don't feel, I don't know if there's any point where you just, like, sit back and coast. And the phone just rings all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, it's like, I'm in town playing the same gigs that like you know Mike Clark is gonna play you know like (laughs) these are Lenny White you know these guys are like guys that are like your your idols yeah the the guys that you're up against you know and they've been here forever (laughs) and how are you gonna compete with Mike Clark or I heard this dude I heard this crazy story about Mike Clark the other day and it was actually on the interview it was an interview that he was doing he said that he the day that he started playing drums, he played that night in the club. Wow! He said he he started hitting the drum set, and his dad was like, "Come on!" and brought him down to the club, and he sat in with the band that night. Wow! <laughs> I love my Clark. I know. <laughs> I love him too. But I mean, that's just I'm just trying to say, you know, there are so the there are so many guys that are uh, you know older than us mm-hmm. that have more experience that have been around. But the playing field is still the same for everyone. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like similar to like, you know, poor people and rich people, you know, they still are going to like be on the same filthy, dirty street, you know, <laughs> in New York City, you know? Right. What we have to choose from is, is, is the same, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, it does seem like it gets harder and harder in New York. Right. But I like to be an optimist. Me too. You know? I try not to be. a pessimist. But um You know? <laughs> I guess that's where it is, man. It's like, you know the like you were talking about not getting cheaper and it's not gonna get easier either. You know? Yeah, it's not gonna Especially, get cheaper and it's like I mean hopefully you know, clubs close and then clubs open. So right. I mean hopefully more people will put money into artistic endeavors, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and that's happening, you know. There's places like the stone. But you know, the stone is not like a, a hang, you know. It's right. like you go there and it's like a little black box, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you see a performance and then and then you roll. Yeah. So so what do you think are some some uh, some obstacles that you think were that were in your way coming up? Coming up uh, when I was growing up? Not not when you were. Well, I mean, like coming up through the scene and and you know some obstacles that you that you faced. Probably just my own, you know, mental things. Probably just self doubt or just not or or just lacking confidence or right. being overly confident <laughs> you know right. I just think it's important to you know to be balanced mm-hmm. and to um, 
you know, always be open and, and be, uh, you learn something new every day. I mean, that's really true. I mm -hmm. mean, whether it's about drums themselves or it's about music in general or, or uh, production and recording, ways of recording. You know, I don't know, obstacles. I mean, yeah, it's just... So mentally, I mean, was there, was there, can you remember something that kind of like broke you out of that? Because I think that a lot of people go through, they, they underestimate themselves and they overestimate everybody right, else. Right, Some people have too much self-confidence and they should just, you know, maybe go practice some more. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think the, the, the hardest thing is de sometimes dealing with, you have, when you're a musician, you have to deal with a lot of other musicians' opinions. Right. You know, mm -hmm. everybody has opinions, sure. you know, on something and, um, you have to deal with a lot of different personalities. You have to deal with a lot of egos, you know, and that's what can become tricky, you know? Right. And just dealing with all those people and in a social aspect, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, It's, it's, you have to decipher the, 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 you have to work your way through all that stuff, right. you know, mm -hmm. you know, pick and choose when, you know, you, you know, not be reactionary, like, um, so much. Right. To, to what people are saying to you. Let it roll off your shoulders a little bit more. And yeah. Don't take offense. Like if you're in a, if you're in a session and somebody tells you that you should play something a certain way. Don't make your first thing that you're you're gonna take offense to him saying that, you know, uh, especially if he's writing the check. <laughs> but uh, also, even if yeah. he's not, you know, if it's if it's someone coming with a suggestion, just like being open, like don't take it personally. Sure. Like playing the drums is not is is playing the drums. It's not like you're gonna take a personal affront to someone telling you something about the way you're playing. So don't be overly sensitive. You know, mm -hmm. but be a sensitive player. Sure, it's hard to find that balance. You know, I got it. I got but it. it just comes from like knowing yourself. I think. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep, I understand it. Because I just made that up right now. It sounded perfect. <laughs> it sounded rehearsed, and you don't think I should do it different? <laughs> <laughs> I could. You read the cue card perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Everything was good. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, like I do. You, you, people can can. People can be their own worst enemy. You can, you know, when you listen back to something, you immediately are like, oh, I suck. You know, you, you, how many times have you done that? I've right. done that. And then you see other musicians do it, you know. And then you go back and listen to it, it with a different light, you know, and you're like, oh, that's not so bad. Right. Or you go back and listen to something weeks or years later that you thought sucked, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just this stuff that's in the moment, you know, and you just don't have to become so attached to it emotionally. Right. And that can get in the way of going forward, mm -hmm. I think. I remember hearing a uh, that when Fish was recording a record and, and they had this rule that they were like, don't get attached to anything that we're cutting because it can get chopped out. Yeah. any second you know so yeah. like we may redo it we may do this so to your point of not getting too attached to things and, and being so you know emotional about it and right right and I think in the past I I, I went through a lot of that type of stuff right. you know I used to listen incessantly to every gig every gig I, right after the gig I'd listen to it I mean people thought I was crazy and maybe I was now I don't do that anymore I right. just don't do it. Right. And I used to, when I was doing that, I used to talk to older guys and they'd be like, yeah, I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. And now I feel like I'm, I don't know what. I You're like, just, I should have listened to that a lot. It just, it just clicked. Like, I don't need to listen to every, I don't need to record every time I play. Just let it go out into the air sometimes. Right. And then sometimes afterwards you're like, wow, I wish I recorded that. You yeah. know, so yeah. you never know. But do you think that made you a better player though? Kind of letting it go a little bit and. I I don't know if it made me a better player. It just made me a little bit more uh, not crazy. Right. You know, I think just being... Because we become obsessed with everything, you mm -hmm. know? I know I do. Yeah. You know? And so, I don't know if I let... If it was purposefully letting it go. I just... 
I, I, you know, I just kind of let it just it was a natural thing, you know. Yeah. But I'll still record gigs and listen to them, mm-hmm. you know. Analyze it a little bit and see. I'll listen to it once, but I oh. won't be like, you know, if you can learn something from it, say, hey, next time that happens, don't play it that way. Right. There's a better way to play sure. it. Or find out what you need to work on. You, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But don't, like, beat yourself up over it because it doesn't make sense. Right. There's no sense in beating yourself up over it. And I still see. But I think that's part of being young. Guys do that. You know? Mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a good place to stop. Though I think that's yeah. a good way to. Okay, I hope that made sense. I, I start I do these things and I start to say, I think it made a t- lot of stuff. And I dude, I think it, I think it made perfect sense. I think I won't listen to it. <laughs> hey Eric, here's the internet. Uh, the, this I'll, is the thing that I'll listen back to and beat myself up over. <laughs> Not my drumming. Right. Me talking. <laughs> All right, that's where we ended that interview. Uh, Eric and I kept talking for about another hour of of some nonsensical stuff, so we decided to cut that part out. Be sure to visit drummersresource.com. You can also like the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource, or get at me on Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so then it automatically gets downloaded to your your tablet or your phone or whatever you're listening to it on. And if you want the podcast before everyone else, sign up for the VIP list at drummersresource.com. It's free and you'll get a download link to download the podcast a few days before it's released to the general public. So if you have any questions about that, just shoot me a message on drummersresource.com. And until then, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'm out of here. Peace.